0: You're listening to Top Traders Unplugged, episode number 019, with Roman Lutz, Managing Partner of Future Value Capital. This episode is sponsored by Saxo Bank and Swiss Financial Services. Imagine spending an hour with the world's greatest traders. Imagine learning from their experiences, their successes, and their failures. Imagine no more. Welcome to Top Traders Unplugged the place where you can learn from the best hedge fund managers in the world so you can take your manager due diligence or investment career to the next level. Here's your host, veteran hedge fund manager, Niels Kostrup-Larsen. Welcome to another episode of Top Traders Unplugged. Thanks so much for tuning in today. I know how valuable your time is, so I appreciate you spending some of it here. On today's show, I'm talking to Roman Lutz, managing partner of Future Value Capital. His interest in global macro trading and whiskey led him to meet and team up with his business partner, Walter Distasso, and today they are part of a new trend in the hedge fund space. This trend involves establishing their business as part of a bigger hedge fund alliance platform, which allows them to focus on what they love the most research and trading. Seeded by a pension fund in 2013, they continue to evolve their risk premier trading program, which tries to capture many different alternative return streams. And for those of you who are new to the show, I just want to let you know that you can find all of the show notes, including a full transcript of today's episode, on the TopTradersUnplugged.com website. Now let's get on with part one of my conversation. I hope you will enjoy it. Roman, thank you so much for being with us today. I really appreciate it. Thank you, Niels. Thank you for giving me this uh, opportunity. You're very welcome. Now, today is a little bit new for me as so far that I have mainly been speaking with managers that often would have had 10, 20, or even 30 years of track record and predominantly hmm. been in the directional trading space. But Future value capital does not really fit into this description. Uh, Firstly, you are relatively young when it comes to your live trading of the strategy. Mm -hmm. And secondly, you have a number of different ways of extracting the returns you're looking for. And although I sense that there may be some trend-following aspects in a couple of the sub-strategies, you also do a lot of other non-directional trading inside your portfolio. So... I'm really looking forward to learning much more about this area, as it is new to me in some respects. And another theme that I think is really interesting is the way you combined fundamental research with systematic implementation. So I guess maybe the best description of what you do might be systematic global macro. I hope I'm correct in these observations, Roman.
1: No, that's absolutely correct. I think um, we are Like uh, a classic systematic global macro manager. And, um, basically, um, if I have to summarize maybe in one or two sentences, what, what we do, um, is we basically implement very well established, um, um, hedge fund strategies in a systematic way. Um, to give you an example, a good example is, for example, is, is merger arbitrage. You know there are a lot of very successful merger arbitrage managers in the market. They have been uh, um, track records um, like sometimes more than ten years. Um, but a typical merger arbitrage um, manager uh, is a is a is an alpha proposition so often these managers um, invest only in the the best 10 mergers they can find in in the market so they have a a huge uh, a big research team and they basically try to uh, select um, the best mergers they can find we are a bit different Um, we believe there is a risk premium uh, which um, can be earned in a systematic way. And we basically invest in every announced merger uh, we can find, provided there are some very basic um, criterias um, which have to be fulfilled. And they're typically like market cap, deal size, um, liquidity. But um, provided these very, very um, basic conditions are met, um, we invest uh, in in every announced merger, it means basically we we buy the target share, and we either short the acquirer or we just hedge out the market risk by um, selling some index futures, and um, um, and we do this um, across um, uh, different asset classes. We do this, for example, um, in volatility. You know, we do systematic volatility arbitrage, so we try to capture the spread between implied and realized volatility on on uh, different asset classes let's say on on equities or interest rates uh, on on commodities uh, and also on currencies um we do carry trades um a lot of people are familiar um with with carry trades um in in the currency world so we we obviously do this too we also um, are very diversified. We don't only trade G10 currencies, we actually also trade, um, emerging market currencies. So we are, we are going long, high yielding currencies like, um, the Brazilian real, for example, and we go short, low yielding currencies like the Japanese yen or, or the Swiss franc. But again, um, we don't take any, um, um, directional bets or, um, uh, it's basically a, a systematic way how we capture this, this this carry risk premia but we also do a carry trades for example and that's a bit unusual um uh, in the credit space so we are going long um high yield credit and um we're going short investment grade credit that's not a lot of people do this but um we think this is also a very interesting risk premia which can be can be captured so in total we have about 15 uh, broad strategies and then uh, it depends a bit on on the market these 15 uh, strategies have then sometimes four or five and and uh, but in other cases um, 20 to 30 sub strategies so
0: so a lot of diversification inside (laughs) yeah a lot of diversification but typically very simple models so nothing very complex um no that's a great that's a great uh, i mean that's a great way to start and, and 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 a great introduction to the program which we will of course go into much more detail on on this but what i wanted to do first and and maybe even before we talk about where your company is today mm-hmm. um i'd like you to take us back all the way to the beginning of of your career or or maybe even before you got into the financial uh, world and just tell us your story and what led you to take this path, and 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 really feel free to go back as as far as you want, and also, you know, share with us how you met your uh, your business partner uh, Walter uh, Distasso because that's obviously uh, uh, also very relevant to uh, where you are today. Yeah,
1: I think the the idea for the strategy kind of developed. When when I was working um, in the investment banking industry, I I, sp- I spent f- fifteen years working in the financial industry. I spent most of my time working for Morgan Stanley, and um, I basically have a a derivative background. And when you work in in derivatives, um, uh, often the way you build your business um, is you try. To develop solutions for for your investors or for your clients, so um, that's I think a typical um, uh, derivative, a typical way how to run or how to build a derivative business. So you try to find a regulatory or an investment problem, and you then develop uh, a solution, and and typically that works quite well. And in 2008, uh, in this uh, in the financial crisis. I just realized that the hedge fund industry has actually quite a significant or quite a big problem and I think that the problem was and I think um, to a certain extent that the problem is 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 still here is that I think a, a lot of the hedge funds, they don't really deliver what the client expects them to deliver uh, and I think that the biggest problems are the, the high correlations of hedge fund returns with the returns of assets, uh, clients already hold in the portfolio, like equities or credit or, or commodities. And this was really the starting point. I kind of thought there, there is an opportunity. Why don't I kind of use the knowledge I acquired, um, in, in the equity space and try to develop an investment strategy which really de- de- delivers uncorrelated returns because that's what clients uh, want to see which is liquid you know um which can basically put into for example a regulated fund with, with daily liquidity um because that's really what what clients uh want to see and that's basically the whole starting point and i uh, started to do basically my my own research I first kind of digged into a bit the CTA world um, because I think the whole CTA space embraces the concept of uncorrelated returns and and liquid investments quite well Um, but then I thought it's probably interesting to develop other alternative um, investment strategies uh precise besides of trend following in a systematic way. And then I basically started to discover this whole world of uh alternative risk premiums. And I basically over the over many, many months, or I think the whole learning process took probably about uh, uh nearly three years, I think. Um, where I, I basically start to understand that uh, a lot of these strategies like merger arbitrage or volatility arbitrage or the carry trade they basically can be implemented um in a in a in a, in a systematic way
0: and if i can just interrupt you here because yeah. i think i mean i think that's very interesting now you said you realized uh, that that you know what investors were looking for, they weren't really getting from the hedge funds due to the high correlation. I think actually mm. it's an interesting observation. It was one of my questions later on, but I think you've you've already gotten there because one of my previous guests, uh, Marty Bergen from Don Capital, who've been around for a very long time as well, they mm. uh, he certainly mentioned on that episode that uh, he had seen higher correlation now between traditional alternative investments, i.e., the hedge fund space maybe excluding the ctas um and the traditional assets exactly as you're pointing out in the beginning here but was it only from your own observations that you that that meant you went down this path or were investors telling you this were they actually saying to you listen you know we we are investing in these hedge fund strategies but you know here comes 2008 and suddenly we find ourselves being down uh, you know, losing money at a time where these strategies should be helping us, or or or, or how how did that come about? If you can remember back in two thousand and eight, yeah, it was a bit a combination of
1: both. I mean, I um I I knew a lot of investors and I um um I was speaking about uh, with them and they clearly indicated yeah there is definitely there w- there there's definitely uh, an opportunity in this space because most hedge funds have a far too high correlation. And it also can be seen in the data. So, um, um, if you basically m- measure the rolling correlations of one of the big hedge fund uh, indices, let's say the Dow, Dow Jones Credit Hedge Fund Index, um, with the S and P or the MSCI World you can see how um these correlations have increased over the last uh, 10 years so i think uh in the 90s the average correlation of a hedge fund with with equities was about 0.6 and uh today um the average correlation of a hedge fund with equities is about 0.9 yeah why
0: is that do you think Robin, if i may mm-hmm. ask you
1: yeah i mean there are different theories ar- around that um We believe, and there's also quite a lot of research has been published on that, is that the alpha capacity is very, very limited. So what I want to say is that there's far less alpha in the market available than people uh, who want to capture it. And um, I think um, Lars Jäger, for example, he um, uh, is the owner of a company called Alternative Beta, he wrote um extensively about about that and he estimates that about four times um uh, more assets are looking for alpha than alpha is actually available in the market okay. so what it means uh, basically for a hedge fund manager also or also for a traditional man- uh, investment manager so if i if i can capture only a quarter of of my returns uh, with alpha how 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 do I get the rest uh, of, of my returns and um, the um, the correlations basically suggest that most most investors basically build exposure to to traditional market risk like equity or commodity or or, or credit. And this basically explains these high correlations um, of the returns of hedge fund managers with with these um, other traditional asset classes.
0: So, 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 uh, maybe another way of saying is that, that, uh, or, or I don't know if, if that's what the, uh, you're suggesting is that a lot of these hedge fund managers are secretly becoming trend followers in traditional markets, um, it, it, you know, either by design or, or inadvertently. But that's what they need to 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 become in order to to put all the uh, the assets they manage to work and get some meaningful uh, return.
1: Yeah, I think if they would be trend fuller, I think the the problem or the correlations would be lower. I think the industry. Overall, it's just very, very much long biased.
0: Yeah, that's what I mean. So a long, because we know that, you know, if you were a hedge fund and you were focusing on on stocks and bonds, uh, for example, in the last five years, a long only strategy or a very long-term trend following strategy, which would have kept you long, would have Mm -hmm. given you good results, but of course, would have also increased your correlation significantly. Exactly. And risk, if I might add.
1: Yeah. So I think, to be fair, uh, the trend followings, um, I mean, it was a very difficult time for a lot of the CTAs over the last three years because there were many uh, trends out there. But typically, they react very quickly and they generate positive returns when traditional risky assets are are falling so I think they deliver when when they have to deliver I think it's just very difficult um, when we are in a mean reverting environment
0: Now I interrupted you in the middle of talking about your background so please do go back and and continue where you left off
1: Um, Yeah and then basically maybe I can move over to how um, I met Walter Um, basically during this process of um, uh, doing research we had a common friend and, um, it was actually a social event. Um, he organized a Scottish whiskey tasting <laughs> and, <laughs> but, uh, he obviously knew that Walter is doing academic research, um, in, in this area. And I basically did, um, research more from a practical angle. And he just thought it might be a good idea for these two guys to, to, to meet and, and have a discussion because, they are interested in the same field you know they yeah. they are interested in alternative risk premiums, but they have completely different backgrounds you know one comes from the academic world and one has just like industry experience sure. so and this could be a very good combination and um it turned out that he was uh, he was right. So we basically uh, started to meet. Uh, we had a, first a couple of lunches and dinners, and and very quickly uh, we realized that we can learn a lot uh, from each other. I I have no academic background, uh, but I know a lot. Uh, you know how these trades are implemented. I am I'm very aware of, aware of transaction costs of um, you know how 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 these how these transactions are basically implemented in practice and and Walter uh, with his um background as a professor in econometrics he has uh, uh, an extremely deep knowledge in in statistics he knows a lot about how how to build models and also to build stable models or stable and robust models because it's it's very very Easy to fool yourself, um, if you, if you have a lot of data and kind of build up a, a, a system which looks great, um, in, in the back, t- back testing. And, uh, but I think the key point is that, um, uh, you build a robust model which also works going forward and not, not only in, in, in the past. So I think, uh, it is a very good uh, combination from a, skill set point of view yeah we have completely different history but we have a common passion we have a common passion and i think uh, it's not only to kind of product, produce a product in this alternative risk premium uh, space i think uh, our passion is just to it's more broadly i think we really want to be a very client focused alternative investment firm and we just want to deliver clients what they expect from alternative investment. That's basically what that's that's what our passion is, and we think uh, with alternative risk premiums, we have a very fow- powerful tool uh, to to do that.
0: Now, where did the systematic side to your business come in? I mean, was it the amount of data that you need to analyze that forced you in that direction, or is there, in fact, uh, maybe a, a, another reason for also going sort of purely systematic in terms of uh, implementation and so on and so forth?
1: I mean, there are two sides on of that. I mean, I think to invest systematically has two advantages. I mean one thing one, one thing which is, is very powerful about investments into systematically, is it takes the emotions out of the investment process yeah. and i think um this is this is very important that um you um keep uh, emotions away and and you react or or invest rationally even if markets are completely irrational and and the investors are are, are behaving irrationally yeah. i think it's very important that um you you continue to follow that path and 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 to trade systematically gives you this 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 uh, opportunity the second um point is i think it really allows you to be very diversified and 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 trade a lot of asset classes and and a lot of models alongside i mean i mentioned in the introduction we have like 15 broad models and then uh in so, sometimes only five but in other cases 20 or 30 sub models so we have probably you know over over 100 sub models if we would have to take rational decisions without having like um a, a very good technology and and the systematic investment process they w- this would be an impossible task to do i mean um or, or we we would have to hire i don't know 20 or 30 people to do that but um i think this is probably the other um big advantage of of trading systematically that um You can trade, um, even if you trade very simple models, uh, as we do, we don't do anything complex. uh, But you you can be invested across many models, across many asset classes. And at the end, you end up with a a very well diversified portfolio, which gives the investors um, a lot of protection.
0: I th- I mean, I think these are great points, uh, Roman. I would add to uh, to those two. I would add one more. And being systematic yeah. allows you to test your 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 models uh, back in time, and yeah. uh, that's obviously also very important. But a big issue I find uh, when speaking to investors is generally that as soon as you mention the word systematic, they think black box, and and that mm-hmm. causes a bit of a negative. Um, you know, a bit of a negative emotion, uh, with the men, with many people. And, and I also hear a lot about, uh, you know, uh, investors looking, f- looking at managers. They sometimes, at least, they have a, a preference for discretionary man- managers, almost shying away from people as soon as they mention that they're systematic. And I think that's, that's a bit of a shame. Um, and to, to quote one of my previous guests, uh, Carsten Schroeder from Amplitude, he once said on a, on in an interview which i thought was a great explanation is that you know it's like almost going on an airplane you wouldn't really expect to uh, to go on an airplane and the pilot would be sitting there manually flying the plane for 12 hours you actually prefer to that he uses technology and uses his autopilot to get from A to B. And that's essentially the same that the systematic trading uh, managers do. They just help on the implementation. It doesn't mean that the uh, airplane or the computers, uh, they're making the decisions. They're just implementing your decisions or uh, the manager's decisions. So anyway, I think that that's a great, um, uh, you know, some some great points that you uh, you mentioned there. Um, I wanted to... Before I jump to the next area uh, of of our conversation, I wanted to just uh, maybe ask something a little bit uh, like an overriding uh, question, and that is strategies today uh, are often designed to perform well in a specific environment. So we know if you're a trend follower, you want trends. That's very clear. Mm -hmm. Um, And therefore, there will be periods or environments where a strategy doesn't work. And Mm -hmm. so... In many respects, what investors should be looking for when putting together their portfolios of external managers is to design a portfolio that has, uh, you know, strategies that work in very different environments because that increases the overall robustness of their portfolio. So how would you describe the environment that your program is designed to work best in? Well, I think... That's actually a very good question because,
1: you know, the, the way we construct our portfolio is probably similar to to maybe a broad hedge fund investor or, or a big uh, funder fund. So a big funder fund uh, tries to pick, you know, the best long short equity manager, maybe the best CTA, maybe the best credit manager. And you obviously make sure that, you know, overall the portfolio is balanced and delivers stable returns in different market environments. Um, so that's what a good fund of fund um, or a good hedge fund investor should do. Now we do exactly the same. The, the only difference is that we don't invest into hedge fund managers, but we build systematic trading strategies which basically do what this manager often do in a discretionary way. And... We often we 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 less look at um, at at market environments, but we 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 look a lot or we assess a lot how the returns of these strategies are distributed. You know, typically they are not normally distributed. You know, either they have uh, negative skewed returns, so they perform poorly uh during uh distressed markets for example merger arbitrage you know um you're you have a long bias so you're long target shares you try to hedge out uh, the market risk by shorting the acquirer or by selling index futures but still a typical systematic merger arbitrage uh, strategy has a negatively skewed return. Similar to volatility arbitrage, you know, where you capture the spread between implied and realized volatilities. You know, it's like an insurance premium. You earn every every day or every week or every month a small premium until volatility starts to spike and then you lose. So these are strategies which have negatively skewed returns. So we try to combine them with strategies um which obviously have positively skewed returns. And um trend following, for example, uh, uh have have these characteristics, you know? Um or another another good example are basically tail hatch strategies. Sure. For example, um being being long forward starting variants or being long the spread between High yield and investment grade uh, credit. So, in, when credit spreads are, are widening, you know the strategy performs uh, performs well. So, basically, what we try to do is to come up with a very balanced portfolio, which which should
0: perform in in most market environments. So, kind of an all weather type. Strategy. An all weather, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> to quote yeah. a very famous large hedge fund product that we all know. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah. Now, i I want to um I want to go to our first area, which is a little bit about sort of the way you've organised uh, your business. But before we do that, maybe you can just summarise where the program is today, when it started trading, and and what your current uh, AUM is in the strategy.
1: Yeah. So we started. I mean. I mean, the whole research process started about three years ago. Um, so we did a lot of research. We traded the strategies for nearly t- about during these three years with our own money. Um, initially, obviously it was a very, uh, uh small portfolio, only a few strategies and, and basically it then, it then grew in, into yeah. the full program. Sure. But... To trade really with client money, uh, we started last year in September. So sure. we launched we launched uh, a usage fund. We got seeded by one of the largest European pension funds. Um, mm-hmm. They put in a bit more than 30 million. And we basically uh, managed this money now uh, for about eight months.
0: And that's where your, your AUM is uh, at, at present as well. Exactly. Good. Yeah. Now, in terms of your organization, you know, I'd love to find out more about uh, how you've uh, structured your firm, partly in terms of, you know, what you decided to do in house and what Mm -hmm. you decided to do uh, sort of with outsourced um, providers. But I also noticed that you have or you joined uh, this alliance uh, with uh, Triumph Capital and I'd really like for you to tell me about that as much as you can because Mm -hmm. I think it's so modern the way you've done things Uh, I mean the traditional way of setting up a a, a kind of a a hedge fund strategy or or firm has really been you know starting from scratch and building everything kind of in-house that's how I've you know, done it a couple of times, and but what you've done is you've kind of slotted yourself into uh, a structure, a platform, uh, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think so many people can benefit from learning uh, what the advantages of this uh, is, what, if any, disadvantages you've come across, um, how it works uh, in in practice, and so on and so forth. So perhaps you could spend some time really telling about the way you've organized your business um, internally as well as the people you work with.
1: Yeah, Um, I think I think what has changed since 2008, um, just to kind of um, describe a bit um, the new environment I think new managers managers, um, are are faced with is that the regulatory environment has completely changed so I think before 2008 or nine or it really changed i think in 2010 you know it it was completely reasonable um, to take a small office um, to have a head of research maybe have a trader and uh, a junior person who does uh, a bit compliance and and back office and uh, launch a fund came in fund and Investors kind of accepted that, you know, this is a new manager. This is a great opportunity. um, We are happy to take these operational risks. This has completely changed. First of all, from a regulatory point of view, regulators don't accept such a lean setup anymore. If you are FCA regulated, you know, you have to fulfill um, not only like this obvious regulatory requirement like capital and uh, fit and proper owners but but also like the whole infrastructure you know you, you need experienced people in key positions like operations, risk management compliance you know it's not enough just to have um, two guys um, out of a basement in Mayfair this is not working anymore mm-hmm. uh, and also investors hey, have changed I think um, uh, unfortunately Madoff uh, you know Completely changed, changed, changed the industry, and also investors have have very high expectations or very high due diligence requirements. So this is the new environment. Uh, new managers have to deal with, and um, obviously, I told you that you know we got seated by by uh, uh, a European pension fund. They um, were very clear that they told us, "Look, we can only uh, give you the money if you." provide us with the uh, institutional infrastructure and we basically um decided to you know team up with another uh, with a couple of other hedge funds and create like a hedge fund platform alliance whereas we keep the the key uh, functions within future value capital so research portfolio management and also distribution of the fund these are the key functions we keep uh, within ourselves but we share uh, for example the ceo we share the risk manager and uh, we we share uh, legal and compliance with uh, currently uh, two other managers and the, the advantage is massive economies of scale so we were in a position to hire a very experienced CEO. You know, if we, with the assets we currently have, um, and the fee income we, we we currently have, we probably could hire only, you know, a, a, a very young operational person now. We are, we were in a, suddenly in a position to hire a CEO who has 25 years experience in the hedge fund industry, who has been the CEO of a a very large multi-billion, multi-strategy hedge fund. So somebody who knows exactly, uh, you know, what investors want to see when they come and do a due diligence visit. Uh, The same on the risk side. You know, um, obviously you can hire a very junior risk person. But typically, investors are not comfortable uh, with that because the partners or the the, the portfolio manager can easily overrule uh, such a junior person. And we have uh, a risk manager also with uh, 15 years uh, experience. You know, somebody who is who is in my my age. And you know, if if I would breach some investment guidelines, you know. He, he would, we also have the necessary um, procedures in place that he basically can force me uh, to, to correct that. And the same on the, on the legal and compliance side. So we have basically very, very senior people in, in these key functions. And this gives investors a lot of confidence. And uh, um, uh, at the same time, we, the, the costs for uh, providing this, this, this infrastructure because we can share the costs are are, are manageable yeah
0: how, how did it actually come about because it sounds to me like you actually found your own investor to begin with but but this alliance was that already in existence or did you actually have to go out and find a couple of other hedge funds to say why don't we do that and uh, you know let's go to, let's go together and let's hire a CEO or or how, how, you know how, how was uh. Triumph Capital actually functioning uh at the time when when you started?
1: Uh, we were basically the first manager. Okay. So we were yeah. And and then uh um so shortly after us, uh, uh a long short manager joined. Okay. And uh now we have a, a pipeline of, of of other managers. Um um but we basically were the first ones who who um I mean that's it's a, a different sure, platform. I mean that, yeah.
0: that's a. I think that's a great great strategy for uh, as you say emerging managers today it's it's really really hard for them to to get going nowadays. Um now I, don't know, I think it's good also for investors
1: because um investors like new strategies. They like new managers, you know. Mm-hmm. They they are keen to uh they're interested to to um explore new avenues, yeah. you know. But what they cannot accept uh, are weak infrastructures, uh, operational infrastructures. And I think uh, this is a very good opportunity to to give investors access to a new innovative strategy and uh, invest into a fund which maybe doesn't have 100 or 200 million under management, maybe only 35 or maybe 50. Uh, But at the same time, they have the confidence and, and the peace of mind that this is a very very stable infrastructure and uh as and if you think about it it's actually very similar uh is as if if you would invest into a very large multi-strategy fund you know if you look at a, a big hedge fund Uh, They're often organized in the same way. You know, they have maybe a long, short uh, equity manager. They have maybe a systematic manager. They have uh, maybe credit managers. And then uh, within the group, they have the risk manager. They have the back office. They have uh, the legal and compliance team. Uh, the difference is that obviously this is all under one roof and it's all under one brand. And, and, um, these portfolio managers are basically employed, uh, by this big hedge fund group. Whereas, um, uh, in such an alliance, um, uh, what we do is, um, we are independent. We, we are still the owner of our, our company. I think this is, um, uh, also important. But at the same time, we have Similar economic of scale as 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 if it would be a part of a, a big hedge fund group. Sure,
0: and and yeah. and in fact, Roman, I mean, these kind of setups they seem new, but but it, but in fact they're not. I mean, I was part of a similar yeah. structure back in 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 the early nineties uh, called GNI Fund Management, and they did exactly the same. So yeah, you know, it works, and it it, it probably is more important today for other reasons. Um, but I completely agree with you. It's a good idea. Yeah. I had a couple of questions uh, before we jump to the next area and that is now i can see all the advantages yeah. uh, but you know in trying to get to uh, as much detail and 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 openness about uh, you know these conversations that we're having uh, yeah. on, on our podcast what's the disadvantage what have you come across anyone or anything where you said okay i'm um, you know uh, there's a bit of pushback from from maybe investors or from other people um and uh, I see their point. I, you know, I can't change it, but I, I see their point. Uh, is there anyone who's been voicing any 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 pushback to to being part of an alliance like that?
1: I think the, the key point, the critical point, is uh, whether you get the necessary resources. Yeah. The risk is that such an alliance, they they take too many managers on board. Yeah. And then you don't get uh, the necessary support from the risk manager or from the compliance officer or from um, uh, the CEO, right? This is the risk. Um, but you know, it is an alliance. So at the end of the day, um, the managers in this alliance—they're in a quite strong position because we pay we pay a fee to this infrastructure, and. Um, you know at the end of the day we have a service level agreement so and this service level agreement uh, you know can be terminated so if if the service is not good yeah. you know you just you have two options either you resign and you hire the people yourself or um you you uh, if you don't get the resources from the platform you build it uh, um yourself internally but typically um you know we all sit in the same boat, you know, sure. and I think the these platforms have a very strong interest that, you know, um, um, the, 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 these these managers, which are their clients, they, they, they get the right level of service. So basically what needs to happen is that, let's say, if there are more managers coming, that they just have to provide um, more headcounts and more resources and hire more people. But if if it doesn't happen, let's say if this platform uh, would say uh, for uh, I, for several reasons um, we don't want to do that or we cannot do this, then there are many options to to do that. I mean, um, uh, the worst the worst thing is you you break out and you do it um, yourself, or if you say okay i I need an additional back office person. you just can hire this person directly into your company and and not into the platform sure so there there are different ways
0: um to do that and um does does trium operate independently from from the manager's me or do you have a say in terms of who they add to the platform? We don't have a
1: veto right, so we we we, we couldn't uh, kind of uh, influence that but obviously sure. they 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 wouldn't do anything um we uh, we would oppose sure. because they would lose as a client so you know how, how these things are sure. it's like uh, if you have um an investor in your fund no <laughs> and uh, uh it's your biggest investor or uh, the, the most important investor you know you always make sure that um he's happy yeah sure. and 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 uh i think yeah in in, in theory there, there could be comf- there in you know there there possible problems and conflicts and they are obviously getting raised in due diligence meetings yeah sure. but in practice you know we are actually um we, we all have have a, a common interest and and you know and it is an alliance sure. so we want to work together we want to work together and uh, you know th-
0: these these problems can all be solved sure, sure. yeah it's like somehow. it's like any marriage isn't it it's a given to you. exactly yeah
1: <laughs> you have conflicts. i mean obviously you know there's always a bit of conflict sure. uh, but uh, this is in in every business relationship sure. um but um they, they can be solved sure yeah. i
0: had one more question about this before we move on and and uh, i don't mean to ask for a specific uh, number relating to your business. Uh, yeah. So I'll ask that question a little bit differently. Yeah, If a f- company or a, 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 a group of people came to uh, Triumph today and wanted to be part of the alliance, um, what do you think they should expect to pay for being part of an alliance like that and get the services required uh, to be able to operate as a uh, regulated and well-run uh, operationally uh, firm. Um it is a bit difficult for me to answer
1: because you know I have to keep this confidential. Of course, that's why I'm yeah. saying.
0: Just generally, as a ball, ballpark number, it, typically it is a certain percentage of
1: the the fee income. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And then it depends. I mean, it depends all on on how these deals are negotiated. Sure. Um, I think it's. With, with like every deal you know it depends a bit on on the negotiation positions sure. the two parties are so sometimes you know um let's say if you are a high profile manager you come from a, a top hedge fund firm you bring already 100 million and um the platform thinks Um, you are uh, in in three years at 500 million then you probably can uh, uh, negotiate a very um, uh, fantastic deal whereas if you come with maybe only 5 million with your own money, you have no hedge fund experience, you have no sales you don't bring a sales uh, team with you and the platform thinks okay, we probably need Ten years until this guy is on a reasonable level then the, the deal
0: will look very differently i think the answer is that people who are interested need to reach out and find out uh, but you know it's interesting and it's nice to hear yeah. that there are these opportunities and 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 clearly it's working well for you and, and for for the other man- managers in the alliance and and that's that that's great yeah um I want to jump on to to track record um a little bit and and I know I said initially and you couldn't you obviously mentioned that as well since you started trading the portfolio uh in 2013 um so in a sense maybe it's uh it's not quite so relevant as a question but but let me ask it anyway and that's a little bit about whether or not we should look at your track record in, um, you know, in stages. Meaning, often what happens with a strategy is that as it evolves, more models, more strategies, etc. Uh, you could argue that it's difficult to uh, to look at a ten-year track record because the system is simply not the same ten years ago as it is today. Mm-hmm. Um, in 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 the period that you've been trading live, have you? Already made significant additions to your model, or has the model itself—I or I call it the model, but it, maybe it's the program as a whole—been reasonably stable in terms of the number of models and submodels that you run?
1: Yeah, I think we haven't changed. Um, we haven't changed anything uh, on the on the models. We we added a, a few new new strategies, uh, just because we continue to do research and um uh, you know it's our intention to launch every every year a couple of new strategies okay so we have done that generally i think we try to be very forward looking uh even even though we work with back testings uh, i think and, and that's also why i think a systematic global macro or global macro is a very good description of what we do because what we basically establish semi-annually is basically is is a global macro view so uh and that's you know we, we sit together and we try to assess you know where the economy is going and what kind of risk premiums or what kind of Ah, uh, strategies are going to perform well in the next six, twelve, eighteen, or twenty-four months. So it's a f- very forward-looking way to do it. Even though we work with back testings, so a good example, I always come back with, uh, with merger sure. arbitrage. I'm so yeah, sorry, yeah. no, but, that's great. <laughs> but you know, merger arbitrage um, um, has been a terrible strategy over the last uh, uh, two, three years because, for the simple reason, we we came out of a recession. And there were just not many mergers, so all all these merger arbitrage um managers had a very very difficult time and, and the performance was actually uh very flattish i would say it was not 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 terrible but there was clearly not not um not a strong performance in this sector uh, nevertheless, we decided to develop uh, a systematic merger arbitrage strategy and have actually an overweighting um exposure in in this strategy at the moment because we believe that we are in a in a very good environment for these strategies for a simple reason the number of mergers has increased dramatically over the last couple of months um uh the the balance sheets uh uh corporate balance sheets are very healthy you know um yeah they have a lot of cash uh which they want to employ and um if you read economic research or strategy research you know a a lot of people believe that the, the merger activity is going to continue to improve over the next couple of months More deals are getting getting uh, announced, and that uh, more activity will come into this sector. Um, So even though the backtesting looks um, terrible over the last three years, you know, uh, we actually um, um, have have a a significant portion of our portfolio invested in 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 this strategy.
0: Now, I mean, I mean, that's, that's a good segue maybe yeah. into the next, uh, part because this is really where I want to talk about your, your, your program as a whole and the design and, and so on and so forth. Um, and, and clearly when you, talk about it like this, you know, you you can say that there is this fundamental and I might even add discretionary element of the strategy, not in terms of implementation, but clearly in terms of how you allocate risk. As you mentioned, you've decided to allocate more risk to merger up uh, at, at present. Now that, that's a decision that the computer didn't make. That's a decision you made and, and, and so on and so forth. So maybe from a top down view, uh, let's talk about the program and 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 really you know feel free to go into some of these uh different types of uh, risk premium you use both you know short term long term uh you know you have the equity and the fx volatility and, and 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 many other um so that people uh can get a feel for how it's uh, how it's constructed and and how it works together which is obviously uh, quite important
1: yeah, so I think there are probably three categories. I mean, one big cat- category are like these traditional alternative risk premiums. And I would basically, merger arbitrage is clearly there. Volatility arbitrage uh, is there. So volatility arbitrage, uh, it's basically we capture the spread between implied and realized volatility.
0: And how do you did, do that for for the people? Because we have to yeah. assume that a lot of the people listening to us today may not be, you know, hedge fund managers themselves. So so how how do you how do you capture that spread? So technically, it it's done with with variant swaps. Uh,
1: but um, what the strategy is actually doing it, it it captures the spread between implied volatilities. So uh, these are volatilities. Extract, extracted from option prices yeah like yeah. before yeah exactly and and the realized volatility now this spread historically has been most of the time positive um, and um, um, this meaning can, that
0: people are expecting more volatility than is actually being realized
1: exactly and has done to do with, with risk aversion of investors yeah. so that means um, um, more put Buyers are basically uh, in the market and put sellers. So more people looking are, are are basically looking to buy protection than people are willing to sell uh, sure. p- uh, p- protection. And this basically uh, explains um, this this spread, which can be captured. Um, so you're selling implied, and you are um, realizing. Uh, re- yeah, you you you're buying a realized volatility and um how do you buy realized volatility you just delta hatch this option portfolio so a variant swap is basically nothing else than uh a portfolio of of listed options let's say on the Mm s&p um you basically replicate uh the whole options queue so if you have a net uh, you know if you have calls and put options you you sell all put options and you sell all call options and and you just have to get the ratio uh rising in in general terms you sell more put options than you sell call options okay. and uh just to replicate basically this uh, uh options queue you know and in 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 a, in a tactical term um you you build a, a u.s dollar constant variance portfolio yeah that's basically what you do and then every day um you delta hatch uh this portfolio so you calculate the net delta of of all these option positions Mm -hmm. and if the delta is positive um, you sell some index futures, and if if the delta is po- uh, negative, you buy some index futures. So, so, so it depends d- on the market on the market movement.
0: Sure. sure. So just in in other words, for me to understand is that if, for example, by selling more put options, obviously you have a a, a certain risk that if the market really gets uh, you know in in a big correction out of nowhere, clearly you have a risk there, uh, and therefore. Um, you know, you sell uh, futures to to offset that uh, open risk, so to speak.
1: Yeah, exactly. That that's what you do. Yeah, sure. And there, are, but there are other things you can basically do to manage um, to manage this risk. Yeah. I mean, o- often you use you you cap um, uh, the variance, so you basically sell capped variance swaps, okay. so that the loss is basically limited. It's like a stop loss. Sure. Um then often you you can manage the duration of these variant swaps so typically you spread the trades over you, you trade week you every week you trade monthly variant swaps instead of trading one variant swap um and roll it like every month mm-hmm. so you uh half the duration of the trades and then uh that that's more that's probably the most important part of the trade. Is this trade works well when volatilities are mean reverting? Yeah, and uh, it becomes very dangerous, uh, or it can you know can create uh, losses if uh, volatilities start to trend. And you need a good model which basically tells you when um, these volatilities move out of a, a mean reverting regime into
0: a trending re- regime. And um, there are different ways to do that. Now, a strategy like that um is that something that is employed all the time, or would there be um uh, something in the market something in the data that suggests no you shouldn't be doing this uh right now for yeah. example if 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 volatility starts trending uh you know uh against you uh it, it, I'm trying to convey this back to sort of more tr- you know what could be a trigger for a new signal if we look at it from a traditional maybe c t a point of view. Uh, but, but in your case, uh, it's a little bit different. so it, it, as you know yeah, it'd be interesting to find out whether there's anything that, that basically tells you when to deploy these strategies uh, and when not to deploy these strategies.
1: Yeah, so generally you try to unwind the trade or leave the trade or not to roll these variance swaps anymore when uh, volatility start to trend. okay and um, the different indicators um, in the past. Uh, investors looked often at implied volatilities, so they, for example, looked at the VIX, and they, for example, used z-scores, uh, or you know, where you measure basically how many standard deviations are current implied uh, volatilities away from the mean. Um, we think it's not a very well-suited indicator uh, because implied volatilities is actually a very bad. Predictor for future realized volatilities, okay. and you also see this um, very often. I mean, you might have observed that yourself. Um, you see, especially in the last couple of months, um, or also in in January, for example, you see massive spikes in implied walls. So implied walls go from let, let's say fifteen to thirty, but the realized volatility, the S and P, is not doing much. You know. <laughs> and um, so, in, the wall of volatility is very, very high, and and the, the, and, and, the, and especially the VIX creates uh, reacts very, very um, quickly and, sure. and try and tends to overreact. So we think implied volatilities are actually a very bad indicator for future um, for future realized volatilities. <laughs> But what is a much better predictor is basically realized intraday volatility. So if you calculate realized volatilities using high-frequency data, mm-hmm. but, but I don't mean let's say like every every tick, I mean, no, no. high frequency, like every five minutes, for example, sure. And and you compare that to maybe the weekly or the monthly. Uh, realized volatilities, and you calculate certain ratios. And there's also a lot of academic research written about that. So as I, uh, I don't say here anything. This is not. Um, this is not a secret. Um, this is a much much better um, predictor of future volatility than than, for example, the WIX okay. So we we uh, work with with the later. So we look sure. a lot um, at you know how. What's the distribution of the returns intraday, and that's where we we um, basically take our take our signals from uh, to assess whether you know the regime on the volatility side is actually changing a lot. Sure. sure.
0: Yeah. Sure. What are the main categories do you have in your portfolio from a strategy point of view?
1: So the other one is obviously trend following because yeah. they have. You know, these traditional risk premiums, um, they have negatively skewed returns. Then the the nice thing about these momentum risk premiums, they have positively skewed returns. Mm -hmm. So typically they perform well um, when the market is in in distress. Often uh, a little bit with a time lag, depends a bit how quick your model is. If you have a very fast model, you know, you might capture a downside, move very, very quickly. If you have a bit of slower model, uh, it takes a bit more time, but I think one of your CTA uh, guests can pro- is, is much more competent to talk about that than, than
0: myself. No, that's fine. But I would actually be interested in hearing from you mm. how you do trend following. I mean, what uh, in just broad speak, uh, what, 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 um, how do you implement it? We use very simple models. So typically moving average... <laughs> ready to learn more about the world's top traders go to toptradersunplugged.com and sign up to receive the full transcripts of the first 10 episodes of the show and visit the show notes where you can find useful links to other amazing resources thanks for listening and we'll see you on the next episode of top traders unplugged